Can you please make sure you have your Bible open at uh, the passage that Carol has just read for us? That's Luke 22. And uh, page 1057 and 1058 in the Church Bibles. And let me just pray. Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of thy tone. Amen. I wonder if you have a rough idea how many meals you have, writ- you have <laughs> eaten in your life. Well, I have done a quick calculation for you. Assuming a rate of three meals a day, then by the age of 16, you will already have eaten over 17,000 meals. And by the age of 60, over 65,000 meals. I wonder how many of those meals you can remember. Ah, yes, 3,778. That was a memorable memorable meal. But actually, I'm sure you can remember some of those thousands of meals that have passed into your mouth and down into your stomach, because some meals are more memorable than others. Perhaps a wedding reception, your own perhaps. A birthday party a family picnic, your first communion. How many people here can remember the millennium breakfast that we had here? Yeah, there was quite a lot of us. Over ten years ago. Yes, I remember it too. It was a great occasion. Well, we come this morning to the last in a short series from Luke's Gospel, exploring notable meals that Jesus took part in. And there have in this series been a party, a picnic, a dinner, a feast, and a supper. But in all these occasions, these mealtime occasions that are, co- uh, the, that are recorded in the Gospels, there is one meal that stands out from all the others. It was a meal that Jesus was especially eager to share with his disciples and for which he made careful arrangements to share it undisturbed. There was an air of finality about this particular meal. There was talk of betrayal and of suffering and of death. But there was also an atmosphere of expectation a sense that this meal marks the beginning of a new chapter in the story of God's dealings with the human race. And at this meal, Jesus was not there as a guest, but as the host. And it was at this meal that Jesus instituted what Christians variously call the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, the Holy Communion, the Eucharist, or the Mass. All of these names being derived from Scripture apart from the last mentioned. We're speaking then of the Last Supper. I want to try to explain something this morning of its meaning and significance using three words. One referring to the past, 
one to the present and the other to the future. First then, looking back, the Last Supper speaks to us of commemoration. The Last Supper speaks to us of commemoration. If you will look with me at verses 8 and then glance at verses, verse 11, 13 and 15, these all indicate that the Last Supper was a celebration of the Jewish Passover. Now the Passover was itself an annual commemorative meal. During that meal, the story of the Exodus was always told, no matter how familiar it may have been to the family gathered around the Passover meal table. The story told of the sacrifice of a lamb whose blood was daubed around the door of the family's home. And when the angel of death came by, he would pass over those houses so that the Israelites were unharmed and able to make their escape from slavery in Egypt across the Red Sea into the wilderness and then on towards the promised land. Now when, at the time the annual Passover meal was celebrated, when the head of the house came to the point in the meal when he broke the loaves of unleavened bread, he would say the following words. He would say, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the wilderness. But when Jesus came to that point in the Last Supper, he said something different. He said this, recorded in verse 19. He said, this is my body given for you. Bear in mind, please, that the Last Supper took place on the night before Jesus died, on the Thursday evening. I, can, I think there can be no doubt that when Jesus says, this is my body given for you, he is referring to the, to the events of Good Friday. That is to say, to the giving of his body in death on the cross of Calvary. Indeed, verse 15 tells us that Jesus very much had his imminent sufferings on his mind. He says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And then in verse 20, he speaks of my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, in biblical imagery, blood poured out speaks unmistakably of death, of sacrificial death, of atoning death, of the kind of death that, that bears the penalty for other people's wrongdoing. The Apostle Peter was, of course, present at this Last Supper, and later he would write to fellow Christians in his first letter and chapter 1 and verse 19 that they were that they had been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, 
a lamb without blemish or defect. All of this adds up to remind us that the death of Jesus on the cross was no ordinary death. From a human point of view, indeed, it was the triumph of evil over good. But for God's, from God's perspective, it was precisely the opposite, the triumph of good over evil. The death of Jesus was not merely the death of a well-meaning martyr, but it was the means by which God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. And so the Last Supper teaches us to look back and to commemorate Christ's death and all that it means. It prompts us to remember Christ's once-for-all sacrifice of himself for our sins on the cross of Calvary. It prompts us to reflect on our own deliverance from bondage, our bondage to sin. Let us make sure that we never lose sight of the place called Calvary, that we never forget how much we owe to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Last Supper prompts us to commemorate the death of Christ, his body given for us. But the Last Supper doesn't only prompt us to look back. It also has something for us in the here and now. For the Last Supper speaks not only of commemoration, but also, now secondly, of celebration. The Passover meal was itself more than a simple remembrance. It was a virtual reliving of the experience of the Exodus, One Jewish writing says, in every generation, a man must so regard himself as if he came forth himself from Egypt. And so it is with the Last Supper. We are to see in the bread and the wine not only symbols of Christ's atoning death, but also tokens of his nourishing, sustaining presence, a presence that we can celebrate together. Of course, Christ is present with his people at other times and in other places than when we remember his death in services of Holy Communion. For didn't Jesus say, where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them? Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20. And when Jesus' followers go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything he had commanded them, they go with his promise, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Yes, Jesus is present with his people in all places and at all times, But Jesus is especially present when his people gather to remember his death and to break bread together. Your Christian life is a relationship 
between you and your Saviour, which is nourished and strengthened by your participation in the communion service. When you receive communion, you are reliving your personal experience of Christ. When you put out your hands to receive the bread and the wine, you are saying, in effect, I receive the benefits of Christ's death. I am ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. I am adopted into God's family. I am in Christ. Jesus spoke vividly of this relationship in John chapter 6 and verses 35 and 54 when he said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, it is a serious misunderstanding to suppose that the bread and the wine change physically and literally into the body and blood of Christ. But still, the Lord's table is a real meeting place between Christ and his people. Our Saviour pledges to meet with us there in a special way. It's a place where we feed on Christ in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. And just as our bodies need food and drink regularly in order to keep them strong and healthy, so we need to come regularly to the Lord's Supper in order to be nourished and strengthened by our communion with our living Lord and Saviour. Looking back then, there is commemoration of our Saviour's death. And in the present time, there is celebration of our fellowship with the living Christ. But there is also a forward-looking aspect to the Last Supper, for it speaks, thirdly, of anticipation. The Passover became, over time, a focus for messianic expectation. As they celebrated the annual Passover meal, Jewish people looked forward hopefully to the coming of God's anointed one and to the redemption of Israel. Indeed, it was thought that the Messiah would actually come on the night of the Passover and an extra place would be laid at the Passover table for Elijah who was seen as the forerunner of the Messiah. And the Last Supper, too, prompts us to look to the future, not to the first coming of the Messiah, for Christ, God's anointed, has come, but to his return, to his second coming. Jesus expressed this forward-looking aspect when he spoke of not eating the Passover again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God, verse 16. And in verse 18, he says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus is looking forward, I believe, to the great festivities which will take place at the end of the age when he returns 
and is reunited with his people perfectly and forever. The church is the bride. He is the groom. And that great homecoming will will be celebrated in, in what Revelation chapter 19 and verse 9 calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. Yet another meal. And in the meantime, Jesus has instructed his people to gather together for an anticipatory meal until he comes. When we therefore come to the Lord's table, we do so hopefully and expectantly. Through all life's changing scenes, its troubles as well as its joys, the regular celebration of the Lord's Supper encourages us to see that everything that we have now as Christians is just the first instalment, but also the guarantee of the glory that is yet to come. The early Christians would shout out an old Aramaic word at their communion services. That word was the word Maranatha, O Lord, come. It's the cry of those who love the Lord now and long to be with him forever. And when in two weeks' time we meet together for our next morning service of Holy Communion, it's at the invitation of Christ himself who bids us enjoy a foretaste of the great banquet to come. Let's commemorate, let's celebrate, let's anticipate. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. Amen.